Welcome to the manor. Welcome to the Twin Terrors macabre manor of mead, metal, and mayhem. I'm James. And I'm Jody. And welcome to another wonderfully instructive uh, something. <laughs> <laughs> something. Things and stuff and what's not. <laughs> uh, so before we get started, uh, we, we were chatting before we, we started to actually record. And, and we know we'd mentioned that we're going to try to keep the episode short and the introductory. But I, I, Jody had a point that we don't think we talked about why. And, and the reasons are twofold. The, the first, I, I was waiting for you to do the Spanish Inquisition thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the first reason is that, is, is that then the episodes are a little more self-contained and are very uh, wrap up one small topic because we tend to go off on tangents and we could just keep going yes. and going on some topic and touch on a bunch of other things, but that forces us to be specific. Yes. Uh, the uh, other reason is... <laughs> thank you. I'm going to take a drink. <laughs> We have found that uh, podcasts that tend to run over a certain length of time, kind of, at least for, for me, uh, they kind of tend to lose me after a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, we figured if we keep it short, eh, we'll keep your attention for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and that also allows us to put out episodes more frequently, which is probably a good thing knowing us. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> hey, look, we did a two-hour episode. Hey, let's not talk again for a month. <laughs> And I think yes. in, in the previous episode, which uh, who knows what order these will actually go in, but when we recorded, we're talking about <laughs> Tolkien and, and I'd mentioned having a Scotch ale, I think I might've yeah. said Scottish, but it was definitely Scottish ale. And we'll talk about that sometime. And I thought I should give a shout out to the places I get these from. If you're in the Indianapolis area, uh, I got the Scottish ale. It's called Kilt Bill and it's from Triton Brewing and it, it kicks ass and it's actually low alcohol. So I could drink a whole howler, the, the 16, no, the 32 ounce things. Oh, nice. Yeah, the, one of the, the guys that worked there, Bill, actually has a kilt. And I, I saw him in it the other day at their anniversary party, so it was cool in, in the kilt. Cool. And today, I'm drinking Centerpoint's Barley Wine. Uh, they, they had a collaboration with another local brewer. They had three different kinds, and I was in there the other day having one. I actually saw on their menu that I could get a, uh, a howler or a half growler, the, the 32-ounce things, for $6 yeah. for a barley wow. wine. That was like 11-plus percent. And I thought it was a misprint. I said... Is this true? And she goes, uh, and Amanda there kicks ass. If you go in there to Centerpoint in Indy and you have Amanda, she, she's awesome. And she goes, no, we, we've made her money and everybody was happy with it, but it's heavy and it's not a fast seller. So we're opening up some lines. So I, I have their, their dry hopped was already off. It, it actually tapped out, but I got 32 ounce of their regular barley one and a 32 ounce of their, oh, um, by the end of this episode, if I finish the whole thing, <laughs> you may have to finish for me. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Now, was this, was this the one that you texted me about the other day? Yeah. Yeah. That was the one I was going to tell okay. you about. So that, that was my story that you hadn't heard yet. So now everybody gets it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> anyway, since we're now probably 10 minutes into what we're trying to keep 30. <laughs> Uh, this episode uh, actually comes from our, our heavy metal episode, and, and we'll probably use a few things that we've done from that, but this is a more self-contained thing. This is about a cultural watershed moment, and, and that was another one of our drinking game things between, besides context. Yeah, um, cultural yeah. watershed. Yeah, so something happens, and then it's like an avalanche where suddenly just little pebbles become boulders, become rocks, become everything's being covered in the stuff and it changes the culture and attitudes. Uh, World War II in Britain, uh, life, life, life was sucking because uh, the, the German air force crap. I actually had a note here. Uh, do you know what's called the something Schwander Schwunder? Ah, I'm <laughs> horrible with languages. What? Uh, I, I, 
thought it was the Luftwaffe. Luftwaffe. See? <laughs> I told you I was horrible with languages. The Luftwaffe. <laughs> Nine. <laughs> so anyway, they would be, bastard, uh, coming over and, and bombing the ever-loving crap out of London, especially, uh, but all over. And, but, but at the end of the war, the children who were born at, at the end of the war, when they grew up, when they got to be teenagers and and into to secondary and post-secondary school, uh, you know, college and university systems, they things were getting turned around and the deprivations of the war era had reversed and things were getting a lot better. So, of course, the parents who survived the war, all parents want more for their kids. Uh, so it was, it was a time of relative, anyway, abundance. So and at this time, the people we were talking about uh, was were Led Zeppelin, for example. Pagey was the oldest. He was born in 44. And Plant and Bottom were, were both born in 48 with John Paul Jones in the middle there at 46. And you had Monty Python, uh, the, the oldest of which was John Cleese, or is John Cleese, who's 39. And, and then it goes uh, all the way to, to Eric Idle and Michael Palin, who were born in 43. You have these people, all these groups that were born at this time. So they start coming through and things are easier for them. They don't have to worry about the war. They don't have to do all these weird things uh, or not weird, hard things. Yeah. And, and instead of, of doing the military or, or some of the more difficult, you know, for example, accounting, which out of the, the 10 people I just named, uh, two or three of them were, were sort of being pushed into accounting by their parents, such as Robert Plant and, and Eric Idle. Uh, but, but wasn't, they, the, wasn't Keith Richards doing that too? Yeah. Yeah. Or, I, or architecture. I don't remember which one it was. Well, and there's accounting, there's architecture. Uh, I think Pagey was thinking of doing architecture for a while. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's just instead of doing that, they, they actually got to end up doing different things. And although the, the Pythons, the Python players, went to a more structured university setting for the most part, they were allowed there to do their uh, surrealist and absurdist humor. And that's what got them into school. And that's how groups of them met and they started working. And then you have the Frost Report and, and different things. And they came together for Monty Python. And at a different point in time, there, there probably wasn't any way for Monty Python to have come. Uh, and it's, it's the True. same thing. Yeah. 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 yeah cause, cause, <laughs> cause in a different era that it might not have worked. Exactly. Um, at, at the same time you have not, not the members of Led Zeppelin, but you have Jimmy Page, uh, but you have some of the other people you have Eric Clapton, you've got Jeff, oh, Beck. Oh, Jeff, Jeff Beck, <laughs> Keith Moon. <laughs> you have these people who are going to art college. Uh, instead of a more structured university setting. And they're learning about music and art college and, and, and sometimes dropping out and just getting together and, and playing music, uh, which of course is, is yeah. how a lot of them got to, that's how Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck got to know each other, which is how Jimmy recommended Jeff for the Yardbirds and Jimmy joined mm -hmm. the Yardbirds and then Jeff left the Yardbirds and the Yardbirds kind of disbanded and Jimmy created Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. <laughs> um, so, see, it's, it's all this interconnectedness. Yeah. Uh, it's just this big, big type of thing. And, and that wasn't the, the only part, the, the whole art college bit. I mean, you've got uh, Ealing Art College and, and people who went there. You have Ron, Ronnie Wood. What, I, I always think small faces. He was in small faces, right? Not faces. Uh, I mean, ended up being in the Stones. Uh, yeah, he was in Stones. Um, he was in the Jeff Beck group. He, he played uh, with uh, Rod Sir, Sir Roderick Stewart, who yeah. was in Small Faces, right? Wasn't that Small Faces? I think so, yeah. Well, I think, it, I, didn't it start out Small Faces and then just became Faces? Yeah, but some of them had left by then, and 
I'm always unsure of that time. And that, yeah. that's one of those tangents that I'm going to just skim right through. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but so Ealing Art College, uh, Townsend was there, Ronwood, Freddie Mercury of Queen was at Ealing Art College. Yeah. And I've actually got a few points about Art College. Hopefully I'll make sense of this as I go along. One of the neat things <laughs> about this whole, yeah, yeah he's, he's <laughs> laughing for a good reason. <laughs> uh, so Gustav Metzger uh, was creator of the autodestructive art movement. And he gave a lecture at Ealing Art College. Townsend was studying there. And uh, so Metzger's thing was public art for industrial societies. And what this did was it used amplified sound as an element of the total conception. And the artwork was meant to disintegrate and be trashed after it was done. And, and that could be along the lines of, of minutes or, or decades, you know, depending on how permanent or semi-permanent the, the artwork was. It was still meant to be trashed and disintegrate because in industrial societies, you have this capitalistic turning over of destruction where old companies that don't work anymore get trashed for new companies to come in and take their place in the market. And that was uh, kind of his point, although it wasn't necessarily a positive point of capitalism. <laughs> no, yeah. And, and that's a completely different tangent for us maybe sometime. <laughs> um, and we're not going to say good or bad because that's the tangent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so Metzger was doing this destructive artwork. And of course, you have uh, The Who, where you have yeah, Townsend, who's smashing his guitar and whirling it around, and Moon's trashing his drums and blowing things up. And, and mm -hmm. we'll, we'll probably have a couple of good episodes on, on some of that, where we'll go into more detail about the first times of iconic rock movements and, and moments. But that, that's all of that comes from this sort of art college type of thing. And before I go into my next point, did, did you want to jump in? No. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's the, the thing. Cody could jump in, and, and would it be a simple couple points, or is he going to jump in and something that we should talk in another episode? Well, I, because I mean, I was going to kind of jump in on the Pete Townsend thing, but um, if we're going to hold that over for another episode, well, if, if it's smart, do it. Do it. I need a drink anyway. Okay. Well, uh, no. Uh, what James is talking about, where Pete Townsend started breaking his guitar, probably influenced by what Metzger had. had had said but it actually for pete townsend started as an accident he i don't remember where they were playing it was at a hotel somewhere in in london and he was holding the guitar with the neck straight up and he jumped and the ceiling was low and it broke the headstock off of his guitar <laughs> and um it was the complete accident but the audience reacted you know went nuts they they loved it they thought it was part of the act so the next show they did pete intentionally smashed his guitar it, you know it, it was born out of that, that that destructiveness um not to be outdone <laughs> keith moon as james mentioned started trashing his drum set at the end of the show uh, you know that's just what i was going to jump in with <laughs> yeah, uh, just is the railway hotel in london and it was june of yeah 64. I've, I've got some of my notes here in front of me. That, yeah. that is not in my memory. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, I, I, uh, since this was largely going to be your episode, I didn't really open my notes. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the other little piece I was going to mention about art college is that you have these people coming through art college, and that also influenced not only their musicality, that also influenced uh, artwork. Jimmy Page, there's uh, some and some proof that, that he did some of the artwork for the albums and at least always had creative control over it. Uh, you had 
Freddie Mercury actually designed the Queen logo yeah. with his artistic ability. And the, at this point in time, and, and this will be a completely different episode, but it's, it's at this time where you, you sometimes had artwork influencing groups. Uh, Eric Clapton, Steve Winwood, the supergroup Blind Faith, they didn't have a name until they saw the cover art for their album. And the name of the artwork was called Blind Faith. So they took their name hmm. from uh, Bob Seidemann's artwork. Uh, the artwork, by the way, is an 11-year-old girl with her shirt off. Uh, so, of course, for the U.S. people, because of uh, our wonderfully puritanical culture, th- th- there's an alternative version of the album with just a picture of the band rather than yeah. an 11-year-old without a shirt. And, you know, uh, I'm, well, I, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you can jump in here. So, after I say, I, I'm just torn on that because I, I don't like censorship. If if I want them to release two albums, I'll buy the one that's censored or not. But I, I also do get a prepubescent 11-year-old girl with their shirt off. But, it, but it's, I, I've seen the picture. Uh, you can easily Google it. It's still obviously female. It is yeah. a bit on the creepy side. It is. I won't argue that. <laughs> but you know, what I was, was going um, to say is that, that that album cover was widely available here in the States. That for years was the only cover that I actually saw the, the, the edited or not the edited cover, but the alternate cover with just a picture of the band. I didn't see that until years later. I can remember seeing it in stores. I remember seeing it um, inside sleeve of, of a lot of records because yeah, a, a lot of times they would uh, on the inside sleeve of a record album, they would put, you know, whatever uh, different albums by that record label to try and, you know, entice people to go out and buy them. And I, I have probably one of my copies of deep purple's machine head if i pull that out it's probably got a picture in there of that of course of course one of my copies of machine head i bought in germany so i or i, I got in germany i got it as a christmas present but uh, yeah no that that one um I, mostly just because i considered it more of a collect you know it's it's in a box <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I will give credit to, to Bob Seidemann. It, it, it actually was artwork. He wasn't taking a picture of this tween girl half nude. Well, right. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, but there's, he, he, uh, the, he is a, a counterpoint. It was a counterpoint of her innocence versus the technological toy in her hand. Uh, that, that's yeah, which is, so it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's like a model of an airplane or something. Yeah, it's, it's. It is art, and it's meant to provoke. Yeah, <laughs> whether it provokes discussion or anger or conversation, that's what art does. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the point of art. See, and that ties into art college. See, uh, we, we, <laughs> we we came full, so we meant to do that. <laughs> that that's kind of the whole the, the whole thing. We we talk about these cultural watershed moments in there, but but we also kind of tie it back to other things history is very repetitive but you don't have these moments either without things building up um right now world war ii we might not have had that cultural watershed we might not have had bands like zeppelin or or black sabbath or queen or the who yeah. or anybody who came after we might not have uh benny hill and monty python and certain things because there might not have been this release of well kind of euphoria and, and joy and happiness and allowing people to be surreal and kind of silly and dumb and whatever you're <laughs> now now uh, and you mentioned sabbath can i can i offer a counterpoint to some of this yeah i'm thirsty anyway. <laughs> just jump in there. okay so having read ozzy osborne and tony iomi's respective autobiographies in london uh you had a lot of this 
<laughs> a lot of this disposable income. I was trying to think of the term. I actually um, see it, where you're going, and that's a point I was going to make with some Zeppelin. So, so yes, please, yeah. this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Industrial places like Birmingham that had been heavily bombed, like London during the war, I, there was not so much disposable income. And the landscape was more bleak. 20 20 years after the war, Birmingham still had bomb craters that had not been dealt with. Ozzy talked about growing up as a kid in the 50s, playing in the bomb craters with his friends. It was heavily industrial, so there was a lot of pollution. That influenced, partially, what type of music Black Sabbath made. And Judas Priest, because Priest came along a little bit later, but they uh, they came out of Birmingham. So yeah, so while, while you did have all this... Uh, you know, stuff going on in London as, as kind of a counterpoint, there was the exact opposite kind of thing going on in, in the Midlands, especially around Birmingham. What you wind up with later is a darker sound as, as opposed to what you were getting out of London. Yeah, um, I'm glad you actually mentioned that because I had my note to mention uh, Plant and Bonham, and then I completely was spacing on the that. So, yeah, Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones were both a little better off and came from a little higher upper, not upper class, but just a, a higher up class, yeah, um, middle class. But Plant and Bonham were both from the Midlands. Mm-hmm. So they, they were more of the, the down the earth and poor type of thing. Uh, they, they weren't horrible, but you know, for example, Robert Plant was having a hard time making it and he was about to be forced into uh, a normal job. And, and we have stories that we'll do in another podcast, but Bonham <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, actually wasn't sure he wanted to join anything because he was making really good money as sort of not, not worrying about joining a huge super group. He's making good money as a drummer in other bands. Yeah. And was also making money as a, a brick. He was a bricklayer mm-hmm. and, and did manual labor. So yeah, that, that is the type of things, but as a counterpoint to the bleakness mm-hmm. where you see in black Sabbath, uh, Led Zeppelin's lyrics when Robert was allowed to start singing them, uh, to, to actually do them and get credit, uh, another podcast. Uh, but he took a lot of his inspiration from the West Midlands folklore Yes, and Tolkien, things like that. So he was much more of a hippie and he took folklore items and the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And that's where a lot of his lyrics came from. Mm-hmm. And both of those West Midlands folklore that inspired Robert Plant and The Hobbit and Tolkien and Lord of the Rings lyrics from heavy metal and hard rock bands are two podcasts we've actually already started or at least talked about doing. I've, I've got some of that. I don't think I've told you. <laughs> so, uh, yes. So you can look forward to the podcast on West Midlands folklore and Robert Plant. Tolkien-inspired yeah. lyrics. Uh, Tolkien and hippies and environmentalism. <laughs> And, 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 uh, and another, because you're talking about the, the what was it, West Midlands? Uh, Tolkien, yeah. Tolkien grew up around the Birmingham area as well. That was turn of the 20th century. So, you know, a good 40, 50 years before what we're actually talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, or, or, anyway, I think we're, yeah. we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of getting close to time. Um, uh, we have other things that go with a lot of this. You know, the, the who were, were mods, and we'll talk about mods versus rockers. And I thought I'm going to put Jody on the spot. And because uh-huh. Monty Python is loved by all, and yes. if you don't love Monty Python, you're missing out. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite what's your favorite skit oh. bit that they do i mean i know mine always so you can ask me at any time and i know what it is but i i don't know because i i have not unfortunately i've watched the show but i'm more familiar with the movies um, Well, that's fine i, I mean yeah, because i didn't if you have a favorite scene if well favorite scene probably got two <laughs> From from uh, from from Holy Grail, it would have to be the uh, the witch scene. 
<laughs> and uh, from from Life of Brian, um, probably he's not the Messiah. He's a naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yes. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, I, like I said, I haven't had a chance to. I, I've I've watched I, I've watched the show. Uh, would I I would love to get it on DVD. When I've had the money, I haven't thought about it. And when I've thought about it, I haven't had the money. Now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I remember uh, watching, I think I caught them on MTV when I was like in junior high type or so. I don't know. They, they, some station I would catch them on every once in a while on a Saturday yeah. afternoon. And then when I was older, uh, Time Life had a special where you buy one every month. And I, I ended up doing that. So I've, yeah. I've watched the whole series a few times. And my all-time favorite, which we can't do an audio clip of because it's pointless, is the fish slapping dance. Just Michael Palin, John Cleese on a wharf in explorer outfits with the the pith helmets and the, the jodhpur pants and everything sort of you know and, and michael palin's dancing around with these two little fishes you know tinier types of things like kippers or something and just dancing bopping back and forth and smacking john cleese in the face and bouncing back and jumping back and then john cleese pulls out a huge trout looking thing just holds it and goes whap and michael palin goes into the water yes the best thing and it's easy to google um, <laughs> No, I don't Maybe know. On I that I've, note. Seen the, I've seen the, because uh, I mean, you know, Ministry of Funny Walks is kind of funny. But no, no I, 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 think, I think you're right, though. I think the, I think the fish slapping was. That's... <laughs> and if that doesn't bring us full circle to what surreal humor is. <laughs> uh, so, uh, is there anything you have before we end this episode? Uh, no, I could, I could add some more about Sabbath, but I think it would probably be better in another episode. <laughs> well, that sounds good. Um. I guess we'll sign off and you have already had some spoiler alerts for upcoming episodes. <laughs> Till next time, I'm James. And I'm Jody. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. I, I, I. Shlemiel, Shlemazel, Hassan Pfeffer Incorporated. Mmm, Hassan Pfeffer. Three. Two, one, five. Take a drink now, you bastard. <laughs> yes, I have nothing. Ah, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> that's good stuff. Okay.